it became a, a, a deeply personal path of self-discovery and it did start before my divorce and then kind of culminated with the strength it took to push through that that was just god-given like that wasn't me you know that was a season that i our relationship had to endure and i would do it again with all its grief and like mess because i i know now the other side This is Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 17th episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me Tracy Ferguson. She is a self-love and relationship coach, a musician. I'm not talking about just singing in your bedroom, strumming on your guitar musician. I'm talking about opening for Kenny Chesney musician. She's also a mama. And she also happens to be one of my dearest and oldest, not in age, but in the length of time that we've been friends. Her family and my family were incredibly close growing up, so much so that my parents adopted her as their goddaughter. Tracy's sister Kristen would babysit me and my sister, and Tracy's brother Jason, who passed away a little over a year ago now, was a really big influence on my life. And so Tracy's family was like my second family. We went on vacations together. We sang together as kids in the church. When we were just kids, we would actually lead the music at the service. Tracy and I also created our own radio show that we recorded on cassette tapes. And so it just seemed very natural to do this podcast. It's like we're fulfilling some kind of creative playfulness that we had as kids, as adults. Tracy and I have a ton of history, and it's been so incredibly rewarding and exciting to watch her blossom and grow. And she's just become this resilient powerhouse of a woman. And I couldn't be prouder of her. And I am so excited to share Tracy with you. I think you're going to find her personality contagious and find that she's got a lot of wisdom to share. So, all right, that's enough of this from me. Let's get to it. Hello. Hello. I'm still in my robe. Um, I just worked out. I'm in my closet. It's been a weird morning. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I couldn't sleep last night. I was so excited about this because I was like, this is like back in the day when we're doing Tricky Lake. I know, right? Having a good time. Like there's no pressure. (laughs) No, there's none at all. And I actually, um, I didn't sleep good last night either. And so after Johnny left for work, I was just laying in bed and I was finishing the podcast that you and Jada did, (laughs) which was like also the coolest thing because I realized that, well, I remembered, I should say. That, like, when you guys moved away, she was, like, still, like, so young. (laughs) And so I I just had this, like, big full circle moment where I was like, wow, she is, like, 
a woman and like I've known that <laughs> like but she's amazing and it was just that was such a cool like I love the way that you guys approached that and it was just brought me so much joy to listen to that yeah like even even trying to like think about this interview I was like wow like Tracy and I have so much history like yeah but there's still so much that I don't know. <laughs> there's still That's so much like, to dig into, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no pressure. Just we're going to let it roll organically. Okay. You know? So I don't want to really be like, hey, Tracy, tell me everything that you do. Because right. that's not. <laughs> not the point. <laughs> no, I'm more interested in, in getting and in, digging into how you got to where you are. And so the first question that I ask people is, when did you first know that you had an inner voice of your own? Yeah, I've been thinking about how to answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> that was it. We're starting. <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, ask me again. <laughs> like Jada kept saying. Wait, just ask me again and I'll say something too. <laughs> I was clapping out loud like... <laughs> Oh, not the point. <laughs> it was like, oh no, ask me again. I'll do a different thing. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Yeah, so so I know your family pretty well, and I know the environment that you, you grew up in. Mm -hmm. And so, when was the first time that you had a moment to realize that this voice inside of you was your own, and it wasn't influenced by your siblings or your parents or? Richard or the church or anything it was just truly you it's hard to say simply because I you know I really have been thinking about this and thinking about my childhood and sort of the way that I grew up and the truth of it is really that I had like for all intents and purposes a very charmed childhood and the other inherent truth is that I've you know, come to learn about myself as an adult is that I've just always had this. And I think we're all, we all come really hardwired with this, but I've always had this hardwired thing to just want to do good. And, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into that because that comes back to this sort of longing for the divine ever since I was like little, right. but I learned very early on, you know, love was given and received very freely in my home. But I learned very quickly that the grownups in my life were very, very pleased when I did well and I succeeded. And I'm a two on the Enneagram and I, you know, I just love, I, I learned really early on that even though love was never withheld from me, that it felt like it expanded when I was doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. And I don't yeah. think that that was necessarily misguided. Um, and I think it was, you know, on some, in some way it was a great, you know, foundation, you know, of experimenting with, with doing good and how that felt internally too. And, you know, we all know this in hindsight, but I think there were moments of sort of hearing my, my own voice as a kid. And it, it usually came in the form of like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but then would quickly become like, but we're going to do that anyway. <laughs> And so yeah. <laughs> even though I think I always felt a close connection with it before I even realized it was God as my inner voice, I think I really found that voice and allowed it to kind of myself to kind of seep in it when I figured out that I could write music. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I mean, I remember when you first found your singing voice because I was there with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were. <laughs> I was. I was there with you. Um, and I feel like that was almost an escape for you in some ways to access that truth of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so what, do you remember what it felt like when that clicked for you? Yeah, I do. And it was all sort of in the same year. So that was when you and I were kind of jumping in with, with both feet to like all the music and your family kind <laughs> of got me singing and got me acting and, you know, exploring all these wonderful things that I hadn't really been given just an opportunity to consider, quite frankly, because no one in my immediate family is musical um, or in the arts in any capacity. So you guys were my first window into that world, you know, you and your beautiful family. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a sidebar, but I used to love having dinner at your house because you're allowed to sing at the table and you weren't allowed to sing at the table. <laughs> Which is like oh wow, so funny. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we sang in three part harmony um, with my mom <laughs> going to the chapel, and uh, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting because I have a completely different perspective of that time because of I was in it, but right. it, this is not about me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to, I guess to answer your question, I of moments as a kid where I knew I really liked singing and it was a whole other thing and I think this is what my kind of aha aha moment was and kind of finding my voice in my singing voice is that moment that I allowed myself to be good at it Mm -hmm. and even though I was a kid that like looked for praise quite a bit I also had a lot of very talented and gifted friends. And one of my dearest friends growing up together, she was so incredibly intelligent and a very gifted athlete um, and had a lot of natural abilities that Mm -hmm. were just very fluid for her that I had to work five times as hard at to get half as good at. And so this is Evan. (laughs) And so there was this moment, you know, and I was caught kind of always, she was always so encouraging for me and it never felt, you know, that, that relationship never felt imbalanced, but I always looked up to her and admired her so much. And on some level kind of always wanted to be her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so there was this moment And it was right around the time that you and I had started, you know, singing and experimenting, you know, myself with a lot of different art forms. Mm -hmm. Um, And she decided that we were going to write songs. And I was like, oh, this is a good idea. I love this plan. And (laughs) so we wrote songs. Still can sing the hook of mine in my head. And we like sang them into a cassette. Yeah. like my first trip to the recording studio right (laughs) and she wouldn't let me hear her do hers and it was so funny because she went like into the sound (laughs) (laughs) and recorded her song and then left and then I went in with my you know cassette recorder and I recorded my song and then we played them for each other and there was just this moment for the first time ever I was better at something than her (laughs) 
and it kind of like shook me up a little bit and I don't know if it shook her up necessarily she didn't seem particularly affected by it but it was just like this like I think that was that the first moment mm-hmm. when it felt like I had a thing yeah like mm-hmm. I had a gift and I was allowed to like explore that so yeah I think it, it came with writing music and finding my singing voice and and I think that was in in hindsight those were both it was all very intertwined. Yeah, you mentioned that your family was not necessarily creative or musical. Um, your siblings definitely were not. They were more of a science-driven side of things. Yep. So how did they accept this newfound light in your life? So I am the baby by a mile in my family. So my sister is 10 years older than me. My brother was eight years older than me. And I was just a happy little situation about a decade later. Um, It took my mom years and years, uh, well into my adulthood for her to admit that I wasn't exactly planned. (laughs) Um, And so I, in essence, kind of had a, a totally separate childhood from my brother and sister. And they were extremely close because they were just, you know, stair steps, you know, less than two years apart, like my children. And they were inseparable. And by the time I found my voice, they were like in college. (laughs) And like, you know, my sister um, got married a couple years after that. And so I think it, on some level, it was always kind of like, oh, that's just Tracy like she's the you know I don't know how, what your thoughts are on birth order but we are the classic like three yeah. <laughs> three siblings um and I was arguably always the more attention seeking one and I got a lot more attention simply because you know again we I was a kid when they were adults basically and so it was interesting at first I don't think I don't know if anyone knew exactly what to do with me <laughs> but then <laughs> as it evolved into a passion and eventually into a, what was my career for yeah. about three years, they of course were a hundred percent supportive, you know, to, to this day, you know, my sister literally supports anything I do, which, you know, in certain seasons might not be a virtue necessarily, but um, yeah, it was, they, they were awesome. Even though they didn't always get it, they got that it made me really happy. And they were always in the front row. Yeah. Can you describe for the listeners really quick the town that you grew up in? Just to give a little <laughs> perspective of where we're yeah. going. Yeah. So I grew up in a little town called Pritchard, West Virginia. Population, I don't even know. Like, not much. <laughs> if you blink, you'll miss it. And I went to an elementary school and I went through grades kindergarten through fifth with the same 16 kids and my school never had much more than 100 kids in it um and so it we were arguably pretty isolated but also you know we weren't homesteaders necessarily but my dad was a big believer in you know using what you can from the land and we always garden and we never had a working farm so to speak but I grew up feeling very deeply connected to nature, but also commuting about 40 minutes one way to go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So 
I was essentially, again, grew up kind of as an only child after a point in, um, in a town that I always wanted to escape as a kid. And now I'm just sort of want to run back to, but that's, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> I so yeah, so. that's where I came from. <laughs> so how did this little kid from Pritchard, West Virginia, end up writing songs and eventually end up on the stage opening for Kenny Chesney? Oh gosh. Well, <laughs> I, wow, that's a, that's a big lot of things to answer. <laughs> I know. Uh, it is a lot. Yeah. Um, so once I kind of figured out that music was thing, my thing, and I, I decided it was kind of going to be my thing, I guess that really blossomed even more deeply in high school because it took me a while to figure out where I fit in terms of like stylistically, yeah. um, especially like having a little bit of a theater background and a liturgical background and like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, it really came about became about me owning like the parts of me that I always wanted to abandon um <laughs> and that became a very country sound and it still is to this day and so when I got my first guitar when I was 14 then I started writing songs really regularly and then I found like a different voice you know a writer's voice is a little Amen. different and something you know that we're always cultivating and is always, you know, if I think it's a, if it's an authentic writer's voice, it's always evolving, right? Well, um, uh, yeah, as we as we grow as people, then our art grows with us, I believe. Right. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of years trying to find my voice as a writer, and I wrote a lot of songs with the end goal of I wanted to be famous, hmm. and so I was writing in high school and college what I would have referred to as radio ready songs um and that's you know what the industry would kind of call them I was not trying to like fit into the you know quirky singer songwriter niche I really wanted to have a radio hit and it I wrote a whole album like that and I released my first record when I was 20, 19, 19. And it got a little bit of local attention and then it got a little bit of regional attention. And then I heard about this local radio competition that was holding, um, actually it, it wasn't even the radio station. It was Kenny Chesney, the artist was looking for his next opening act. And it was like such a whim that I entered this um I like slid in like to home plate so to speak with my entry form like I just beat the buzzer but I was one of the few performers that submitted all original songs mm -hmm. and so because the kind of song that I was writing at that time um made a lot of sense for me within that competition um we did move forward really quickly and ended up snagging that opener on a you know a, a headlining tour which was crazy yeah <laughs> and I thought everything that I ever wanted but then life started to look very different after that <laughs> okay let's let's take a moment to bask in that experience mm. and stand on that stage what, what was that like for you just 
it was otherworldly for the Tracy I was at the time. It was surreal. And every moment leading up to it was surreal. But then we went to a whole other level when we did our first ever sound check on a stage that size. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that I heard my own music in that capacity. And so it was like, it was one of, it, it was the big transitional moment when I thought, you know what, I am good at this, but I might actually be able to do this thing that I've been talking about my, you know, my whole life up until that point, essentially. And so, yeah, it was, it was groundbreaking to say the least. During this time, I believe you had a man in your life. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. The man I still have in my life, actually. <laughs> okay. So let's go there for a minute. Cause we also want to get to where you currently are and, and the work that mm-hmm. you're doing. So that's, path and and that story is a bit of a roller coaster Mm. and so would you like to share what was going on during that time as a parallel to what was happening on the stage and in your personal Mm. life yeah that was a pretty wide swing (laughs) it was a pretty big juxtaposition and what that essentially boils down to is was making these big career strides but was also feeling really pulled to this sort of more normal life, mm-hmm. you know? And when you're, when you're trying to create something for yourself, you know, there's, there's this beautiful ideal. And I think so many creatives run into this at some point along the line where it's like, do I want this <laughs> or do I want this other more normal thing? And what I've ultimately kind of reconciled is like, even the people who are, you know, really recognizable household artists kind of names, who you believe they have that normalcy to, the truth is just with the little small taste of the industry and the road that I got, I know that that's a bit of an illusion. Yeah. And so people like to say all the time, you can have both. And I heard that a lot. And I'm like, but can you? I don't know. Um, and so I think you can have both at varying degrees, but the level that I wanted to be at in my music at that time was like, sky's the limit. Like I, if there, there, I wanted to go all the way, but there was also this very real part of me that was grounded in this relationship that wasn't actually grounded at all as a relationship. And so that relationship started out very tumultuously. Um, we loved very hard, very quickly. And so as I was kind of growing into myself as an artist and as a woman, I was also sort of like, (sighs) combating that a little bit (laughs) by getting into this relationship that was somehow aligned, but like not meeting a lot of um, needs and creating some some chaos in, in that point. Yeah, would you say that there was maybe a fear surrounding uh, pursuing the career at like high speed? Do you do you feel? In hindsight, probably. Um, and I think there was a lot of fear around that for him. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, like that, in that one year, so many things happened so quickly. And I mean, I think we played, played like 40 shows that year. 
Um, and that the Poets and Pirates store opened so many doors for us, like locally and regionally, that it was like, it was constant. I mean, you know, and a, a, I think there was a little apprehension there. And I think part of that was maybe potentially losing that relationship or growing out of that relationship. But I think part of it was also just like, holy crap, I don't even know if I know who I am. <laughs> and there's like a lot of people telling me how I should do this. Yeah. And like, I don't know if I even like these songs that I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Like that started kind of rearing its head at that point too. And so, yeah, there was like mm-hmm. a lot of probably anxiety all wrapped up in those years as as much as Uh it was fun (laughs) like a like a fear of losing your authenticity either way yeah Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to even put language around that then but Mm -hmm. that's exactly what it was yes okay so from that point from the point of this I feel like there was kind of maybe an intersection and you decided to go this way instead of that way Do you remember, was there a defining moment? There was a defining season. I don't know that there was one defining moment, but I remember a conversation (laughs) that Johnny and I had in his garage when I was about 22. And it was kind of like, I want to move to Nashville. And that's what I want to do. And it was made very clear to me that our relationship would not continue if I did. And it was not an ultimatum, like at all. Like it was just a very raw conversation. And at that point, rather than stepping back all the way, I just decided that I wasn't going to move to Nashville, that I was going to build a loyal fan base, you know, in our region of Appalachia, which is like very doable. Yeah. Um, especially with the trajectory kind of that I was on. And I just decided that, you know what, um, I'm going to continue to pursue this. But, you know, what kind of happened is, even though I was really enjoying those shows, it still just felt fragmented after mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, I don't, I don't want to be a household name in Appalachia like I don't want to be like the biggest fish in Huntington (laughs) (laughs) and I mean to be fair I was like for a while yeah um and that's fun but that's not to me first of all I mean being a gigging musician at that level as you well know is not a glamorous lucrative thing right (laughs) (laughs) you know you work really hard every weekend to make you know a, a livable wage and it's so fun and you have a blast, but it just, I couldn't see that for myself long-term. Yeah. There's a so ceiling, think, a ceiling to that. There is kind yeah. of, and, and, or at least there was then, you know, now this is well before like digital had right. totally yeah. blown up. This is well before we were streaming and, you know, there weren't as many like YouTube artists and self-produced artists, you know, people were still breaking into the industry at that point. But yeah, there was definitely a pullback in that season of like, and then there was also the element of my dad, who's my biggest fan and the greatest man I've ever known, was pushing really hard for me to to 
continue down this path of like being super famous like yeah ultra awesome Tracy um (laughs) and that was just like a fun season in and of itself because I hadn't gotten that support from my dad up until that point but once he saw that okay well she's gonna do this so now we're just gonna we're gonna do it all the way because that's what we do in this family (laughs) um so yeah that was a long answer to that question I don't know that there was one defining moment but there was definitely a season where I continued to feel more fragmented and I I remember the summer that I thought I don't know if I want to do this anymore Mm. and kind of pulling back from local fairs and festivals and my normal thing okay and so then where did you go from there? Because I think you you dove in pretty deeply into working with the church. Was that something to maybe replace where um, you were going? Or? I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know now that it was just God's provision because so I have I played music in the church beginning you know well I mean you and I were singing there uh, I know. We, we were like as like 11 children I don't know yeah but I I took on a leadership role and a, a music ministry role like a paid position when I was 17 and that was so that was all happening simultaneously so I would like you know, play in church and in bars <laughs> all weekend, every weekend from about age 18 to 23. Um, like, fine with me, <laughs> you know. Um, but I did go on to work for the church as a lay person um, at Marshall with uh, the Newman Center at Marshall University. And that was that was really just out of provision um and now I just see like you know anointing all over it then it was kind of just like because essentially what happened is I pulled back from music I married this man I got pregnant (laughs) we're fast forwarding like really rapidly but to be fair that all happened in a very short amount yeah Mm -hmm. um and so I was working at a as a part-time person at the university within that facility and when the campus minister's position came open I was six months pregnant and I didn't have another plan (laughs) yeah and I actually remember when my friend who was the campus minister at the time said I think you should apply for this job I think I laughed in her face (laughs) I was like have you seen my life I am not cut out for this job um and she said no you totally are like just be where could you just be where you're at and like do the job and it it was not a plan but it was one of the one of the greatest transitional moments of my life and I would do it all again yeah okay so how did Johnny respond to all of that well our relationship at the time was pretty intense um and without you know sharing a story that's not mine you know there was there was a whole bunch of behavior on both of our parts that was like super dysfunctional at the time early on in our marriage um so I was a raging codependent you know there was addiction mixed in there there was 
lots of things going on that didn't poise us for the healthiest start with a child or with this new life transition. But he kind of like me, you know, even in our chaos, there was this willingness to surrender to like the moment because our life, you know, good, bad, or otherwise, <laughs> that time in our life in it, all its chaos, you know, chaos has this way of like forcing you to into the present. <laughs> because <laughs> really? <laughs> you're kind of just living for today, trying to like keep your head above water and so that whole season was really a lesson in that and so you know that was even though the irony of our <laughs> lives in in that season as I was working for the church is not lost on me um yeah we were we were both just kind of willing to take this opportunity that that we had been given um and we dove in head first, like we always do, he and I. <laughs> right. And when did your second child come along within this? So I was six months pregnant with Garrett when I went into that leadership role. And Layla came along 22 months after. Mm. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're about the same age as my brother and sister were apart. And... Yeah, you know, in hindsight, I thought having a child would fix a lot of things about mm -hmm. our relationship. Mm -hmm. And one would think that after having my first child didn't remedy a whole lot of that. <laughs> in fact, it inflamed a lot of, of what was happening in my relationship. You would think that I would have been like, um, this probably isn't going to work out. But, you know, God is good and it all worked out. But yeah, she came... She came along right in the midst of kind of a more chaotic time. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Ultimately, I'm trying to get to the point that you guys ended up getting divorced. We did. Right. And so you kind of made this decision about your life mm -hmm. of to not go to Nashville and to dedicate your life to this man. And now you have two kids and... Mm -hmm you're divorced and you're working for the church and how did you maintain your did you feel that you were authentic to yourself in that time were you mourning this career that you could have had no I think at that point I had fully reconciled that that was not the path for me thank god I at that point I feel the way I do now about the career path you know that I had wanted all my life. I have no desire to, to be a household name, just like zero. Um, I have no desire to lose my voice in that process. Mm -hmm. I have no desire to live that lifestyle. Um, and at that point, I think I had fully, fully reconciled that. Um, the easiest answer to my, the authenticity question is, <laughs> Um, those were easily some of the most authentic years of my life, even in all their, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, insanity. Um, and this is, that's one of the reasons why I say, you know, it was just God's provision that I stepped into that role. I was blessed with such an incredible community 
of people and students. And I was really not far off in age from many of them. You know, some of my seniors, when I first started, we only had a, you know, five or six year age difference from Jump Street. You know, I'm ultimately I was in the position for 10 years. So that gap got a little wider, you know, as new freshmen would come in. But those first few years with what do I call, they were sort of like my first generation. So the, the students that came in with me that first year as freshmen and then graduated, you know, four or six years later, <laughs> that community was so unique. And those people that came into my life at that moment, we became so close. And how I maintained an authority you know, position and got so close to these particularly young women, but I, I still don't know how that was possible. That was just God's grace, but it became such a supportive community where I actually just lived it very authentically. Now, obviously they didn't know the details of my relationship, but like during my divorce, it was very open about that. Um, you know, these young women and these young 20 somethings, you know, who I was such a mess at 20 something, <laughs> they would like swoop into my life, you know, as babysitters and study buddies. And because I was working on a degree at the time, because we're not. Um, and we, we really kind of grew up together. Right. Yeah. And it gave me an opportunity to just kind of let it be what it was. Yeah, it seems like as you were learning, you were also teaching. Yeah. Which um, seems like the path that got you to where you are now with yep. your coaching stuff, which I want to get to. So you got to let us know how you got there because. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you literally said it. Um, I was learning while I was teaching. And I tell you what, if life isn't a great teacher, man just like really is and I think you know we we hear about this in so many different versions of of love and spirituality but like this idea of being a wounded healer right mm, yeah and that we are all you know evolving and you know being made more perfect as we you know do this hard stuff in life and I didn't know it then <laughs> but I really was learning a set of skills and tools and spiritual disciplines and coping strategies and things that were really going to go on to support my clients and what I ultimately do now, which is relationship coaching. But in those years, you know, of my marriage, and then immediately after the end of my marriage, I really, it was the first time in my life that I had just let myself breathe for like a second was after my divorce. And it was grief and it was tremendous. <laughs> and it, you know, to anybody who's gone through a divorce, it's like, you know, and every, everybody's looks different, but I can only equate it to like, it felt like someone had died, but then I had to see him mm. and it was very, it was a very strange time a very needless to say emotional time but what I had learned leading up to that moment that my marriage ended 
really set me up for success going forward because for the first time ever I was like oh like what do I even need yeah like how did I contribute to getting here you know because we it's very easy to blame and feel resentment all these things but for the first time ever in my life I was like remarkably self-aware mm-hmm. yeah you were no longer trying to please everyone else but more yourself for the first time mm-hmm. and really asking myself like even deeper questions like because with the questions of like who am I what do I need and what do I want it then became like how does God see me like how do I live a life that feels in alignment and pleasing to God in a way that's different maybe from what I've adhered to or what I've you know stuck within the lines of you know my whole life and it just it became a a a deeply personal path of Mm self-discovery um and it did start before my divorce and then kind of culminated with the strength it took to push through that um that was just god-given like that wasn't me you know that was a season that I our relationship had to endure and I would do it again with all its grief and like mess because I I know now the other side but yeah it was um man I'm rambling <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> it's just um yeah you found you found, so, you found <laughs> self-love you found self-love for the first time in a non-trendy way in like the real tangible yes I'm transforming my life. Like it's important Mm -hmm. for me to put myself first to be able to be there for others. um, Yes. How did you go from that into coaching other people into recognizing that need in themselves? Well, ultimately what happened after my divorce is he went very, very deeply into himself and I went very deeply into myself. And while we parted ways, we were both on this journey of finding God and finding who we are in that and figuring out, you know, really who we were. And like you said, it became about self-love in a very, for the first time in like a non-trendy way. And what I realized is that, you know, we are told from the moment we get here (laughs) all the things that are going to make us happy and that we're supposed to do and what i started to realize was there were women in my life who were talking to me who felt just like i did even though they had never experienced like addiction in their marriage even though you know maybe they didn't have children they were telling this same like resentful story about like relationships that didn't work and their needs that weren't met. And I, instead of being like, oh, how can we have better relationships? It became this dialogue with myself of like, what is the common denominator here? <laughs> and what I realized is that we were all outsourcing our work. And we were all outsourcing our happiness on some level. These women that I, you know, had come into a relationship with. And I was like, wow, there's really something to that. And so I 
really began to cultivate. And now I, I don't say, you know, create, but rather realign because I believe that we're all ingrained with this non-negotiable inherent self-worth, mm-hmm. right? This right. spark of divinity that is our absolute birthright. And essentially what I learned was that I was going to have to reconnect to that before any relationship that I was ever going to show up in would work. And at that time, I didn't know that I would show up in the relationship that I left (laughs) (laughs) and that God would fully reconcile my marriage after the two of us, you know, divorced and grieved and grew. And it's just pure, uh, blessing that, that, that we were able to come to that. But, um, yeah, it just really became about me understanding that I couldn't outsource my happiness anymore. Um, and I feel like I had kind of cracked a code. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can read as many like books or, you know, listen to as many people speak as you want to, but until it clicks inside of you and you have that realization, um, it doesn't really mean anything. Right. Yeah. So then it, it really became about, you know, I was leaving the position at the university within the church and I knew that the work that I had done there connecting really deeply with people in a really authentic, supportive way. I knew I wanted more of that for a few reasons, because I'm a classic textbook extrovert and I, I literally (laughs) recharge from deep connections with other people. Um, but also because I enjoy holding space for people and I felt like I had, you know, through pain, I had been gifted with this tremendous insight that some of us go our whole lives and don't have, you know, that, that metanoia, right. That, Mm -hmm. that moment. Um, and so from then it just became about how can I create an impact and create an income for myself and my family, um, and, and really show up powerfully in, you know, this transformation that I've been blessed with and how can I, how can I get that to other people? And so that's kind of where my coaching business was born. Yes. And it's going so well, I believe. Yeah. You're, you're really aligned in what you're doing. Um, Would you like to share with people uh, what exactly you do, the work you do, and if they might want to work with you, like how that process would go? Yeah, absolutely. So I call it relationship coaching from the inside out. So um, a typical session with me will not involve your partner. It will not involve, you know, how to workshop, you know, your differences and all the things. (laughs) Um, But what I essentially help women do is to realign with their deepest identity. So who are you really? Um, And step forward into their relationships from that place. So while there are practical components of that, um, you know, a, a toolbox, if you will, um, essentially 
what I do is come alongside you in your own journey of self-discovery that ultimately is between you and God, but that some of us need, you know, support to sort of enter into because it can be a scary thing to just dive into on your own. The scariest part is, you know, looking at certain things about yourself Mm -hmm. and ultimately being willing to abandon them because that's not what we're called to. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, uh, I, like I said, I call it relationship coaching from the inside out and it really is just a practice um, in learning sort of what the world would call a real radical sense of self-love and self-worth and really cultivating that from a deep spiritual place. Um, And so, yeah, if that sounds aligned for you, what that would essentially look like is spending several weeks together and diving into some tools and self-exploration. And ultimately what I like to give women is clarity. So I'm not, I don't necessarily coach people to stay in their relationship or to move forward from their relationship or to go back to a relationship, but I'm just really interested in helping people amplify their intuition mm-hmm. in, a, in a deeply powerful way that helps you to move forward with authenticity. Yeah. So since, since discovering this, how has your relationship changed with your partner? Oh gosh, it's so good. <laughs> Uh, I, I'll I'll get, I'll probably get emotional. I am living in a relationship now that I could not have conceived of even at the greatest points of my relationship in its sweet, sexy, exciting beginning. (laughs) And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're falling in love, you know, it's really easy to conjure up these ideals of like what forever looks like with someone. And whatever my forever looked like 15 years ago pales in comparison to what my, you know, my reality looks like now. And it really was just about each of us opening the door to God so that we could open the door to each other. Mm -hmm. And the transformations that we have been gifted just in the last few years with each other have just been so incredible and I feel so privileged and I feel very cliche in saying that I would (laughs) do it all over again. And I don't use that lightly because, you know, I've delivered two children, one completely natural and I would do that all over again. And that's a big, those, thems are big words, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I truly, I truly mean that with the sincerest of hearts. I believe that, you know, could, God have kept us from the pain and still gotten to this place. Absolutely. But is it what was required for this life? (laughs) It was. And knowing that um, I would relive every moment because it is truly, it is truly a, a privilege that I can't describe to wake up beside him. Mm. And I never, I never could have even convinced myself of that at certain points in our relationship. So uh, it's miraculous. That's mm. the one word. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love him so, so much. It's so good. <laughs> and so you have two children and they were mm. very young when all of this began. 
Yeah. Have you noticed a transformation in them since you guys have made the transformation? And how are you approaching raising your children with this newfound kind of connection and realignment with your authenticity? That's a great question. Yeah. Radical transformation for my children, particularly in my oldest, my son, who uh, was so deeply longing for that man in his life. Um, and I think we all long for that, you know, it just shows up in different ways. Um, but because of his little personality and, and his gifts and his stubbornness that he comes by very honestly, (laughs) um, he in particular has really transformed, but both of them have just sort of blossomed because I think we've been able to create something that feels so incredibly safe for them. And even though, you know, with the village that I did have at the time of, you know, that season of being a single mother and things being pretty tumultuous for all of us, including them, they were spared from that because of our support system and because of their age, you know, they don't recall hardly any detail from that season, but they really have just totally come into their own. Like we all have really in the last year. And it's really interesting that you asked how our parenting has changed because he teaches me so much, you know, about that continued surrender. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a piece of my ego that has this tendency to be like, well, now I've everything so much better and I've arrived and look how good it is. But he is very practiced in that gotcha. continued release and renewal and it's very inspiring to watch albeit frustrating you know some days when I'm like (laughs) you're so good at this (laughs) wait this is my job I should be better (laughs) um but the way we kind of approach parenthood is also kind of radical you know by contemporary standards and it's just a really daily reminder of reminding ourselves that they're not ours Mm. like our children are their own And they're gods and we don't possess them and we can guide them. And it's our job to be, you know, I think it's our role to be stewards of them and to, you know, help create opportunities for, for growth and connection and things like that. But really just at the end of the day, surrendering them too. Um, And that's a, that's a muscle I'm still flexing. (laughs) (laughs) and trying to trying to build stamina yeah that's a that's hard I've I've gotten pretty practiced at releasing control in some areas of my life and it's still you know sort of one of my crosses that I have to surrender that so I I don't think things happen accidentally Mm. in this life and this past year has been challenging in in many ways but for your family in particular, and if you don't want to talk about this, we don't have to. But I feel like all of this transformation that you've gone to really prepared you for losing your brother and being able to go through that process. How have you been able to handle that? If if I hadn't been as tapped in to the source as I have been. I can't imagine having come up against it because 
everything that I thought I knew about grief up until that point shifted. And at the end of the day, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude because I'm not sure had I lost him had we lost him was certainly not the only one had we lost him in any other season I I know that my heart wouldn't have received that the way that it did and it's a testimony to the miraculous and to God's grace that despite everything that happened in the last year to my family, somehow it was still one of the greatest years of my life. And there have been moments when darkness will try to speak into that and be like, you're not allowed to feel that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not true. It wasn't one of the greatest years of your life, but it was. It just was. And, you know, even though part of my family, I don't even want to say was taken from me, it was just temporarily hidden yeah. in some way. Um, another branch of my family was fully restored in a way that is continuing daily to bear more fruit than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. And it's when you have an understanding of God, like I do, and I can only say this from my experience without the, without me feeling God's love and having tapped into that divinity in my own life, I can't imagine having a relationship severed like that. Mm -hmm. I just can't conceive of it because it's so heartbreaking for those uh, among us who believe that it ends here Mm -hmm. that I can't, how can you go on living after right. that? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like, like anything else in my life, I can see where my heart was being prepared and, um, and I can see that reunion yeah. and it's mm-hmm. magical and I can see him now. In, in my human capacity to see that, which yeah. I know pales even in comparison to the reality of that. Um, so one of, uh, once again, and this is a theme in my life, out of the greatest tragedy comes the greatest growth and transcendence and just remarkable beauty. Yeah. Oh, that duality of this existence for sure. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> but you're so strong. Oh, my God. And I'm so proud of you. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you're the best. Oh, wow. It's really not me. It's like, 
such an out-of-body experience, you know? <laughs> like, really. <laughs> it's like, oh, not on my own strength, uh, certainly. But, yeah. and, and thank you, gosh, for all of your insight and your support. And it really does uh, take a village, even when we're grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's very interesting. Like, our, our lives, like, kind of did a crossing and we we kind of Mm -hmm. lost touch for like moments in time just because our lives Mm -hmm. went in in different directions but literally (laughs) yeah but it's very interesting how still like we kind of met in the same place right yeah yeah so so that's no accident either no way no way so I know you have kids to get to and (laughs) so (laughs) they're just like mommy's in the closet we get to watch tv (laughs) on a school day and that's weird (laughs) so so to wrap up I I have a question that I ask Mm -hmm. if your inner voice had a billboard what would it say to the world if my inner voice had a billboard it would say you are so much more loved than you can even imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> you are so incredibly precious despite of anything that's ever happened to you or could happen to you or who you believe that you are or your trauma or your pain you are so much more loved than you can even fathom and I think that's almost a gift because I think if we were to feel the gravity of it, oh yeah, we would just be totally incapacitated. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we do feel the gravity of it in a way just from being in these bodies um, mm-hmm. and living in this world that we're living in. Yes. Constant reminder every day you have to wake up and decide. Yep. If people would like to find you and your work, to connect with mm-hmm. you and your coaching, where can they find you? So I hang out on Instagram a lot at Tracy Ferguson Coaching. Um, and I have a YouTube channel link there that gives you a pretty good little teaser of what I'm all about (laughs) I'm hoping to become more active on that platform in the coming months but we'll see if it's uh aligned because every time I talk about it it just doesn't come to fruition and I've learned to trust that so um yeah catch me over there all right thank you so much oh my gosh thank you this is such a pleasure you're the best
Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay tuned in to you.